This is a sharp old hat podcast and my name is Chris. It was a real treat to have this chat with Tom, a massively talented and accomplished musician and songwriter, about his upcoming album Daughter of the Willow Tree, among a lot of other things. And to make this even more special, Tom played a few songs in the podcast studio. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Unfortunately, the audio dips a few times for a second, which is technology telling me that I'm still a rookie at this. But I will keep battling. I hope that you still enjoy listening to this as much as I did producing it. This is a conversation with Tom Portman. say take music it's just this is the thought i've been having this week it's like all right i can have uh, what's of value in the sense of what we listen to or i'm kind of going off i'm trying i'll get my thoughts you might want to start a bit after this because i'll try and yeah, get, that's get cool. to my thought. but basically is that where we're okay i can use my synthesizer or i can use play something into the keyboard and it'll write the music out for me. Yeah. Okay. Or I can sing and, or you get the singer into the studio and they're singing out a tune you can put the technology and it'll correct it and make it sound yeah. proper or... Well, auto-tune. Auto-tune, yeah. But, actually, the, the joy, and I think the real quality is that you learn to actually do it properly or well whatever properly is but you learn the skill you learn how to interpret something whether it's the music the sheet music or whether to make the sound out of the instrument correct mm -hmm. and and i'm a bit torn on it even in myself let's say if i'm doing something in the studio do i uh say for example i've spent my life since an early you might say I'm mad, uh, I, you know, because I learned, first I learned a bit of singing as a child, and then mm -hmm. I started, wanted to learn piano, and I learned a little piano, but then the guitar really turned me on, so I, yeah. when I heard my uncle play, I was like, oh, I want to do yeah. that, that's amazing. But so, you wanted to, yeah. yeah. You weren't um, driven by your parents or whatever. No, no, it's like, it totally cool. came from me. Look. Cool. Well, I wanted to learn piano as a kid, and I loved improvising on the piano, yeah. and then my grandmother's like, oh, my parents, my mom, and Oh, we'll give you lessons. But then straight away they gave me sheet music, which put oh. my brain to sleep completely. Yeah, of course. And I internalized, uh, oh, I'm no good at this. This is not for me. Yeah. You know, so then I gave it up, tried. I still love singing at the choir and at school. And then my uncle was playing guitar when I was about 13. I was like, oh, that's... <laughs> that's what I want to do this is, you know of course and uh, it was like smoke on the water <laughs> and I was like that's amazing that's, uh, and I found some wow here's <coughs> I can be good at you know which is I think as a teenager quite amazing that you find something like, it can be your niche you know? absolutely like most people discover what they're good at like much later in their 20s like if they discover it at all Cool. I mean, at the same time, I, I know it was pretty, pretty atrocious, you know, really, in t terms of, you know, where I was at in, at the start of the journey. But then I really loved it. And I, I guess what I'm, I was just going off track a little bit, but 
what I was saying when it comes to now in the studio, well, all right, you can, oh yeah, now I get my thought where I was going. After the guitar, then I decided, you know, I go, oh, what about mandolin? I could learn some mandolin. <laughs> and then, then my dad bought me a, a CD player, a CD of Frankie Lane, who played Dobro. Okay. And uh, that was like, oh, that's really cool. And the next year he bought me a Dobro for present, you know. And mm. So I learned to play that, which was really cool. And uh, Did you I, learn it by yourself or did you have a teacher? Stuart Cowell in Galway showed me, a few, and Kinvara showed me a few bits, huh? uh, but largely myself, you know, yeah. I bought, got a Dobro, but, but I'd been having uh, less, my guitar lessons in England, I'd had, uh, Kevin Walters was my main teacher, who was uh, Shaken Stevens' old guitar player, <laughs> and he was, he's a brilliant guitarist, Chesterfield. I've never had that name mentioned in <laughs> 20, yeah. 30, 40 years. Yeah, so uh, he was brilliant, Kevin Walters. Not been in touch for a good number of years now, but he was a amazing player. You know, you kind of go into the lesson and like, oh my god, am I ever going to be able to do that? Like, <laughs> you know. But he was brilliant. It's like you go in with whatever you wanted to learn, yeah. and he'd yeah. uh, guide you through it, and he'd you know knock you if you thought you were a bit better than you were. He'd kind of knock the edges off you a little bit, yeah. you know, to bring you down to <laughs> earth, you know. And then I had really cool music teachers in school as well. There was a guy called Mr. Barker at Meadows School. He was really passionate, you know, and helped us all along. And then a guy called Mr. Mitchell at my other school, Brookfield. He was, uh, you know, they were all just really enthusiastic, you know. And it's funny, actually, I read a school report the other day from... Uh, Mitchell, you know, at the end of my school. Like there. from your day, yeah. You know, and it's like, uh, and I was like, oh my God, why didn't I read that years ago? <laughs> it's exactly what I needed to learn. <laughs> and I still need to learn. It's like basically like really good, uh, great practical skills could do with better music theory. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then after that, I got the, I was really inspired by a book called uh, As I Walked Out. Midsummer Morning by Laurie Lee and I was going off travelling to Greece and so I thought oh, I'm not bringing a guitar or dobro with me so I brought the violin I took a violin you know oh, right, yeah. persuaded my family to buy me one for my 21st birthday and then, uh, but that came natural to you as well like being a string instrument and tips ish, of your fingers but I could really have done with some lessons it was like you know I was uh, I could have saved myself so much hassle you know just even a few pointers you know and so anyway, I travelled across Greece and I thought, oh, I'll learn this in mm. summer, you know. <laughs> 20 <laughs> years later, I'm still learning. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so then, so it's like, I've learned all these different skills and it's really great, but they'll take a lot of, you know, maintenance. Well, it's, it's repetition, like, it's repetition, you know, that keeps us sharp and... But you are a genuine rock star. Like, I mean, this is your life. Like, from the age of when you discovered that you wanted to do music, when you were a young skitter, and then at 13 you picked up the guitar, th that's really your path. I know. That's, that's the coolest thing ever, because, like, how many things did I try and fail at, like, yeah. you know? Um, but I was, you know, at the same time, you look back and go, oh, my God, was I just way too stubborn? 
Because, <laughs> like, you know, when I listen to the, you know, the podcast you did with Vera and sailing around the world, and you go, yeah. wow, that's so cool. <laughs> I was playing guitar. I could have been sailing around, you know. That's the that's the, the, that's the far away fields thing. Like, you know, they're always greener on the other side. Absolutely. That's the, you know, and, like, somebody could also go, oh, well, as I was sailing around, I could have been learning guitar. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. 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 Something else, like. You know, and I was... Like, a, you know, I've done other stuff as well. Like, I used to, some of my early jobs was, like, kitchen jobs. Things, you know, we all... As we all had to do to pay the bills, basically, yeah. to survive, but it was never a career, like... Yeah. Yeah. But then it's like, I was really... Like, I mean, I just... I remember one summer, I just... Like, I drove my dad nuts, but I, I came over back to stay with him. And I yeah. was just like, right... Need to get good, and I made myself do eight hours yeah. practice a day. I was like, it was pretty intense for a while, you know. But I, I think it really, it pays off in the long run, you know. And then now, you know, I'm busy. I've got a family and I'm teaching yeah. and gigging, and you don't have that much time. But I try to put in bits of time and writing. Yeah, but like, at what age then did you did you start to make the first tenor? On playing your music and pop, all oh, busking. Did you go? Did you go busking? Like yeah, you, I mean, I'd say I started. I, the first gigs I did was probably about nineteen. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been gigging before that, but not for money. Yeah. I used to play with the West Coast. Uh, no. What was it Northeast Derbyshire Swing Band? So I was playing okay. guitar with them. I love that big band music. Yeah. And Glenn Miller and I love. I really, I'd love to go back to playing some of that because I really enjoyed it. You know, that's kind of dead, like in my perception anyway. When have I seen the last time that there's a big band even advertised somewhere? Yeah, well, in Galway there was the the Black Magic big band and the West Coast Swing Band. I don't know, I because I've not I've been out of Galway for now nearly five years, so yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not sure what's going. And then the pandemic happened, yeah. but they were really cool. But it was mad that. When I moved over to Galway, I I didn't get into playing with them because I was doing other stuff when I got into playing. First I was doing more of the fingerstyle guitar and then I got into playing with, uh, it was uh, Kevara's band Charis with John Keneally and Lisa Storius, Lauren McCann and Donald Kearns. They, so I was around mid-twenties then I started playing with them. Uh, but before that, I had been, I was busking a good bit in, you know, and that, I used to busk a lot in London, on the underground, and the South Kensington tube station. Uh, what else did I do? I did some session work, it was around like 19 or yeah. 20 in uh, Denmark Street, where there was a studio there. I played on some country music, playing the Dobro, you know. Yeah. And, uh, So anyway, I borrowed a Dobro from Hank's music shop to do the podcast, uh, to do the studio session. And I yeah. really liked it. And then I was like, so I ended up trading my, the one my dad had bought me, but it's because it was a better one. And I used to, I'd been left a bit of money from my grandparents and my dad and I guiltily <laughs> put it towards it. But I guess that's, I've, it's been a good, you know, 20 years 
But, uh, you know, and then, uh, so I was playing, I did some of the studios, as this place on Denmark Street used to be the Rolling Stones uh, practice room, I think, mm. or studio in Bern. And then I didn't have a clue at that time that, you know, Denmark Street, I just knew it was the guitar place, but I didn't know it, was, it had all this history of the music publishing. And, uh, and at that time I was skateboarding on the road and a lot since. But it must have dawned on you at in around that time like that. This is actually your career path as such, not just a passion which you discovered, like that you wanted to learn instruments, that you wanted to play music, and this is the main thing in your life. Oh, yeah, but yeah. as um, sort of, you know, when you get a little bit older, now you have to pay rent for the first time. You have to pay the electricity for the first time, that sort of thing. And apart from doing all those stupid jobs, which we all did as yeah. students, you know, at that age, it must have dawned to you at some point then, probably through the session music, that, oh, actually, this is my job. This is my career. I think that came to me at 13. I was like, that. Oh, this is what I'm going to do. I yeah. just decided to make that choice. Yeah. But that's, you know, so it's like, whether it was, so at the time as well, so I'd been doing that session job and then I ended up, you know, I didn't have the connections and then it took ages to get paid, so I was busking and mm. I got on the dole in England for a little while just in order mm. to, and then I, but it was definitely, that's what I was going to do, you know, but then I, I didn't necessarily have a, a map knowing how to do it. I was just practicing and then I'd meet somebody and we'd end up having a little group and then. Well, of course not. That's unplanned, really yeah. like. And then I, I really wanted to, re I did, I came back and I, I got on a recordings course down in Ennis, so I learned did my first sound engineering yeah. stuff uh, with a guy called Peter Bastel was doing a course down there and I that was great because that gave me this some uh, you know, a bit more knowledge how to go about recording my stuff did another course later in Vitos I in Galway and then I ended up you know just building I got in some of my own equipment and learning and Gradually. Well, yeah, that's an extra skill you, beside the instrument you have to develop, like, you know, when it comes to recording and yeah. mixing it up and all this. And it's obviously much easier now with um, all that um, electronic equipment yeah. as opposed to the analog equipment and the recorder and tape and all that sort of thing, yeah. splicing and shit. I mean, when I got into it, I was learning on, I guess it was early digital stuff, really, we were using ADAT tape. And I, I started off with four tracks. Yeah. So, uh, my uncle gave me a four track as a teenager. He's a really good musician as well. A guy called Andy Portman. And he recorded some stuff. And I got his old four tracks as a teenager. Which was <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. You know, uh, that was great. But I, it wasn't until, yeah, I did the course in Galway. I did work experience with Paul Mulligan. I had a studio with Bill Carson and Kinvara. Mm, I heard about them, yeah. Yeah, years ago. And, you know, at the same, that time, it was like basically just sitting in and yeah. I wasn't really hands-on because I was just observing, you know. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, and then Pat Neary had a studio in Galway and I did work experience there. And it's really funny then to have, as I've got older, to end up working with some of those people, yeah. you know, that you go from being... Like Pat, uh, we did a 
tour in India with a band called the Baba and he did the tour managing for that. And, yeah. But this is really your job, like the last couple of years, that like um, that you do a lot of touring. You were saying earlier on, like I start, yeah, I see. I had been doing some of my own stuff. I mean, my first tour was when I was about twenty or twenty one. Okay, we were bus. I was busking Galway during the arts festival, yeah. and there was a guy called Kevin Lim from Australia, and we were playing a kind of. I was playing Dobro, and he was mm. playing guitar, and we were. He was a really good singer, and I hadn't really started singing at that point. You know, uh, I was a bit shy of my voice, really. And we were playing together, and somebody saw us on the street, and they went, oh, do you want to come down to Italy, you know? And then we also had this idea to go to France, so we, yeah. because there was a place in Galway called Biquet, Biquets, it was a French wine bar. And the guy, Marcel, who run it, he ran it. He um, had a place down near Marseille, and he offered to help gigs and we ended up going down there and busking around and it was a lot harder than we thought it would be and you were you had some nice so that was the first and then we did a tour in Italy where some people had seen us and again it was like all the things that you shouldn't do how to do it not planning enough yeah. you know but and isn't then, it easy to do it when you're in your early 20s because you have no commitments oh yeah, what's the worst that can happen like and you don't mind if you end up having to sleep on a <laughs> bench for a night not at all if, yeah. yeah but it was you're 45. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I mean, I've been touring with Brother Deej. Then I met, oh, I had a friend out in Clifton. I used to do a lot of playing out of Malarkey's Bar in Clifton. Uh, Jason Foyle runs that. And there was a, yeah, some really cool heads out there. There's a great guitar singer called Aidan Ward. And uh, I used to go out there a lot of, I did my own gigs, but I also played a lot with a guy called Vincent Cross. We had a bluegrass band for a while. And uh, what a, and I met a guy out there called Jason Clark, who's uh, from Canada, living in Ireland. Anyway, he ended up years later getting into web design. And for so, some reason, he connected with, Brother Deej, who was from Louisiana, and Brother Deej had had music in Django Unchained, which was one of Tarantino's films. And he kind of hooked the two of us up together, saying, I think you might see each other. So we got chatting a little bit on the internet, and then Deej came over to do some play in Ireland. And yes, we ended up doing, you know, sort of little shows. Yeah. You know, I basically organised this little tour around Ireland with zero budget and yeah. you know we played and then it it was fun you know some of it was wild and some of it was, you know it was low budget and we were and then a few years later i think it was 2015 he was coming over to do a tour in germany because mm. he'd been playing i think on this tour called the cajun zydeco tour and then he got invited to do, back to do his own tour because in germany it really really took off because of the Django and Chain connection mm. and then he rang me up and there was an issue with one of the musicians maybe they couldn't make it so he was like could you be on standby for it and I was like oh, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, not knowing kind of what quite what to expect. So I ended up 2015 getting called in and going out and never played with a band before, yeah. you know. And then, so I was, uh, so we toured a lot between, you know, every year we'd do one or two generally European tours. Yeah, but that's now, like, as opposed to 20 years ago or 25 years yeah, ago, that's, that's properly planned. It's oh, absolutely. Like, there's an there's agency. There's a budget there and you're booked for whatever places yeah. you're going to. You will make money on that as well. Yeah, it's just, you know, generally, like, it could be four to seven week tour and then yeah. we go around France as well. We've been down to Serbia, Slovenia, uh, where else were we? Hungary, yeah, played Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, Holland, France. It's mainly Northern Europe, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but it's been really great, you know. Oh, I think it's fucking most impressive shit like because it's not just me i think many many people would consider this to be the ideal lifestyle i mean of course we would probably romanticize it a little bit too much because i'm sure that has its, its rough patches being on tour yeah. as well but that's so cool i want that it's, there is so much cool but yeah i don't know this is a reality is like you know you're that's a it's like anything that's it's like you so you get into this weird state. It's like, all right, you start the tour. It's next yeah. a couple of days to settle in. You do some nice gigs, you know, but then there's the travel between. Because <laughs> you could be, you know, like I think the first year of the tour, like you could be like, you know, the, the route was all over the pl place, I think, the first yeah. year. So you could be doing five, six-hour drives yeah. and then playing the next venue. As the years went on, they got a lot better. So you might only be doing two or three hour drives, you know. But then you you get into this route. You you're in the van. You do the trip. You get to the van. You sound sure. check. You might get to the hotel. You might get a half an hour to yourself. And then you're in sound check. And well, it just keeps going. And it's, it's a job. Really tedious stuff as well. But yeah. it's really you know. But after a, but it's mad after about a week, ten days into it, I think after a week you just go, uh, you know. And then, by 10 days, you're in the flow. And this yeah. is your life, and this yeah. the band is your family, and you're just, yeah. you know, this, and it's a really nice space to be in. And then it's quieter, you know, but it's, it's a real calm down when you come like, back from, you know, say you've played in Berlin a few nights before or something, and, you know, you've got a great gig and huge response and standing ovation or whatever. And then three days later, you're back in... <laughs> somewhere <laughs> you know in Ireland <laughs> in the, and everybody's chatting over you in the corner it's very good for the ego you know it's like, yeah. it's, it's like but yeah it's it's funny like uh, I, I'm kind of miss. I don't have uh, I just I haven't done it this year we did a little I did part of the tour last year but I have uh, very lovely news I have a lovely two year old daughter so yeah. deliberately not traveling this year you know uh, it's a different and, lifestyle now yeah. of course yeah but i'm look i am looking forward to getting back to yeah. back on the road as well and, you know i'm doing like last year i did a i was off playing in poland and you know you can go for two or three days yeah at once yeah, then it's, it's, no it's a little bit more manageable than going on a six eight ten week tour yeah. like 
But that kind of describes the volatility of the whole business you're in sure, yeah. very well because you have you have the highest there's camaraderie and the tour bus <coughs> and then the acceleration when you have a good gig and people appreciate you and all this but sure things are going wrong as well uh, you know um, and it is so much less planable that business you're in than um, being a policeman you know, or a nurse or whatever, you know, yeah. because you could get a phone call tomorrow or there might be a phone call at all for the next two years. You just don't know. It could be, but then there's a certain amount of, <coughs> like at the moment, so the, I guess the, the, the beauty of that as well is that I've got lots of different interests. Mm. So I'm like, I've got my own solo project, so... Yes, I should talk about that. We've got the new album coming we'll, out. We will do that now, yeah. Yeah, but that's... Uh, so even though I'm not... Like, I know that next year the album's coming out, DJ's new album's coming out. Yeah. He's just uh, signed to a label. I can't remember which one it is. And they're releasing his back catalogue. So that's going to be next year. So there is... You know, this year I've got... Uh, I brought out two albums last year. with uh, One with OOB Records, one with uh, Friendly Folk Records. And I've got another one coming this year. I've also played stuff with the Reigns. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a lot. I'm actually playing. I've been playing a good bit this summer down in Ballyvochan in Highlands. All right, which yeah. is lovely because it's just yeah. it's down the road, and yeah. they've got set music seven nights a week, and yeah. you get some really nice listening gigs there. And so it's always there's always something going on. Yeah, but um, might as well throw it in here now. Uh, people can check you out at uh, tomportman.com, isn't it? Yeah, tomportmanmusic.com. Uh, or you can also have a look on the Tom Portman Music Bandcamp okay. uh, site. So that's tomportmanmusicbandcamp.com. And you're on Facebook as well. And Facebook. Uh, but like if you go onto the Bandcamp page, you can see all the different. Yeah. I've got six of the albums up there. I need to load the first one up. And uh, yeah, so it's. Uh, but when did you do your first album? Well, because oh. obviously I did some EP. I did an EP. I I done a few little EP things like in my early twenties. Okay, yeah. And I did, like I mean, I did tapes when I was a teenager. You know, that's what I was so. getting at. Because now we can produce an album on our mobile phone if we wanted to. Whereas uh, twenty years ago, the technology simply yeah. wasn't there, and it was expensive to record as well. Yeah. To book studio time and knowing someone who might be able to get you in for cheap and all this, yeah. it's much more of an effort. I mean, I had the four. I guess because I'd had the four track as a teenager, you know. Yeah. So I, I did my first little. I found it recently. It was a tape I did when I was about eighteen <laughs> or nineteen, and I think it was eighteen. I actually listened back to it. It wasn't bad. Yeah. I was kind of treading it. I was thinking it was going to be terrible. <laughs> it's like it's actually all right, you know. Uh, but then yes, I did some like around two thousand three. I bought myself a little music interface and a laptop. So I started doing, I put out an EP then. I did some bits when I was doing the sound engineering courses before, you know? Yeah. And I guess it's just generally got a bit better each time, sure. I hope. Uh, but I, in my, uh, yeah, 2000, I think the, first, the journey I put out in 2007, 
that was the first proper yeah. album I yeah. did. And then I brought out uh, At One in 2011. So the, the journey was kind of a mixture between some recordings of songs and some Dobro instrumental and guitar instrumentals. And then At One was kind of again. And a lot of that stuff is focusing on single instruments and the voice mm. or maybe a tiny bit of other accompaniment. And then at one, which I did in 2011, that was quite cool because I, I, I went back to when I'd been uh, staying at my dad's house in my early, I guess, late teens. And he would have had, you know, a lot of lovely trad music going and Martin Hayes. And uh, my dad would have been a good friend of Martin and Dennis. And I loved that. So I was trying to put some of those pieces onto the guitar and make yeah. solo arrangements of them. And I would have been kicking those up at the Merriman and Kimbara and various places, but I never recorded them as such. And then, so for that album at one in 2011, I actually got the, I got the loan. Of that. I'd been working a bit with a guy called Pada King, who's involved with the Black Gate now in Galway. Boffin, so I'd recorded on some of his al early albums, and he had a, a you know, connection with Boffin. I think we'd done some gigs or recording out there, and so he booked me up to get the loan of a house for a few days. Mm. So I basically just packed all my recording equipment out and went out to Inish Boffin. Just you by yourself yeah. to have that cathartic experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, set up all the gear, was ready to go, and then the wind changed on that side of the house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not going to work. So, <laughs> You're a little bit exposed there, and then it's popping like yeah, yeah. So we would everything to the, to the other side of the house. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, the, the stuff I recorded was mainly those arrangements that I'd made in my fingerstyle arrangement of years before you yeah know? and so a lot of i put a good number of traditional tunes on there which were um i'd made the arrangements of and some other compositions yeah. and songs so that became at one which uh i also took uh <laughs> i was mixing it on <laughs> i got you know I, this is one of the things because of doing it the way I've done it, always being on a budget. And I bought some studio monitors off my landlord uh, who gave them to me and they were lovely Elisa's monitors, but one of the tweeters had gone. So it was a new tweeter on one oh. side and the other one wasn't. And then you're trying to mix on this. And, uh, yeah. and then, oh, like, so anyway, so I got it done eventually. And it, that came out in 2011, self-release. I, well, I got, Grant and as I did for the first one in two thousand seven by the Galway oh, the Arts, arts Council. The arts yeah. uh, office had given an arts bursary towards that. So the next one I did in two thousand thirteen called Float Your Blues Away. And that had it was a bit more bluesy, but there was still, you know, looking back on it. it you know, it wasn't like an overarching concept of what the album was. It was still a mixture, like it might have a meditation piece on it, but then 
all the stuff of Beatles song. So that's not all that uh, planned, like this, this map between the albums. It's more like you're still working as a musician, um, you're gigging, you are you're doing studio uh, work, and the albums are kind of being produced as they evolve over quite some time yeah. in between. Yeah, but sometimes it would just be like, I would just get the grower, like, like when I did the, the Float Your Blues Away or yeah. in 2013, you know, it was like, right, you've got a, an idea what to do this and you know it would be collating songs and then when I got into doing the White Crow album in 2015 I decided alright like, let's do something a bit different so I, I started to do more multi-layered compositions mm-hmm. and I guess that thing of the other ones that was wanting those pieces to be self-contained that I could perform them solo Yeah, you know whereas White Crow I just was Throw out the rule book, and I'll, yeah. you know, so that became uh, a really, I, I got into a really nice zone in that one, just working for, I, I don't know, it was probably <coughs> two, three months just working on, away on the compositions yeah. and the pieces, and I really enjoyed that one. And I was living in, over in Menlo at the time, looking over Loch Corrib, uh, so the, you know, the, and I also got quite a few... Like I remember once I was one of the pieces I was uh, I was so wrapped up in the pieces that you know it's like you can't even re- remember a stretch of time because mm. you're just yeah. actually in that zone and then yeah. it's like oh there there's the music and like I I'd also because I had the equipment set up and then if it could be three in the morning and you get an inspiration. Well, oh, that's creativity for you. It hits you when it hits you. Yeah. It, it could be at any time. And You know, the thing about like songwriting or pieces, it's like when it hits me, it just, yeah. that's it. And I, I might not be able to stay, stop writing for yeah. months. I might get piece after piece after piece. And like, I remember at one point, I actually just was like, okay, Enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually you have to make a decision. Like, you know, you have uh, 25, 30 viable songs, but you you're planning to release an album. Like, you know, you really have to cut it to, to the essence of what you can actually carry on an album. Like. Yeah. But how is, how is your actually, how is your work process? I'm sure it would have changed like over the last 20 years. But when you have, um, when you have an idea for an album and you get that burst of creativity, you have the songs written, you have some sort of an idea of, of an arrangement, do you start recording sort of at home at first on the shittiest recorder you can find on the fly and then transport it to the place where you actually record then in a more professional setting or how do you go about it? Well, it can vary, like... I, I guess one of the ways it really changed is that oh, I'm trying to think now like when I started I guess when I was a bit younger because my ideas weren't as formed yeah. it was about capturing just the moment and and I didn't really have the concept that you could change it it was like it was something that oh you got a nice version that's it you know bottle the ephemeral yeah you know and then it's like you can arrange things you know you can change you can work on so i guess that's changed i like with the 
Like sometimes it would literally be like, I would get a, I'm just thinking of a piece, this one piece called The Longing. And it was on the White Crow album and that started off with, I just had a, da, da, da. You know, just an idea, and then I put on some guitar chords, and I was like, "Oh, what did it sound like with the voice on it?" My ex girlfriend, she recorded some vocals on it, and and violins, and you know, it just grew, and it's really. But it's so much easier with digital equipment now that to layer a song as it was twenty twenty five years ago. It's but it's it's yes and uh, like even the and I, but like I'm also getting to the point like so this uh, so I did that with the White Crow album. I also did a few other recordings there, which was just again purely one instrument, and they came out on the Ebb and Flow album. Uh, but then going back to the album I did. Uh, what's the the next one after White Crow was last year it was called Train to Nowhere mm-hmm. and that was recorded with Magic Sovronik who's an amazing harmonica player living in Galway from Poland and we've been playing together for years doing I did actually check it out on YouTube it's fascinating yeah, right but he's a great player we did so many gigs together so it's like that that's a that's the one where Yes, there's thought behind the arrangements, but over time, and we gigged the stuff, and then when you came to record it, it was quite straightforward. Yeah, you knew what you were doing. But we yeah. recorded it live, and that, a yeah. lot of it, but then that also makes issues for the mix down afterwards. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, there's pros and cons, you yeah. know. Uh, but that was, uh, you know, some of them we did layer. It was much easier to mix, yeah. you know. But I, then I came to do the last, the album's coming out uh, in September, Daughter of the Willow Tree. I did that for my MA in the UL. And that was uh, the final project, the nine songs, you know. And that, again, is a totally different process because I, I had the time. I was doing an MA, it was lockdown. So I actually had the time to... There was nowhere else to go. You know, so, and I really like that. It's like, okay, so I can take my time. How do I want to arrange this? How do I want to do this? Should I... And that was... But again, even when, how I recorded that, actually, you know, largely practiced up the, you know, made the arrangement performed it live with the guitar or the, the dobro and the voice and then just added the other instruments and in. I think there's only one piece on there which I put to the click and then just did one and added layered you know from scratch and it's much easier once once you when you do that it's much easier to mix it afterwards but I really love I still love the thing of when you can get a nice recording and it's the vibe and you know and that's the really interesting thing when you said about the shitty recorder or the really fancy thing. Like even if it is my little dictaphone, yeah. if it's a great vibe, maybe that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh, in the one take. But how did you? Um, so you were doing another course during the uh, during the lockdown, yeah. Yeah. So 
I, that was planned before all this co- before been, Corona was a war, yeah. Yes, I was hoping yeah. to do it. I'd okay. been speaking with the, so I'd play. I got quite a bit of uh, airplay from Carl Corcoran, who played some of my music from White Crow, and I think that one on Blue of the Night on RT Lyric FM, and and then I saw that Carl was the head of uh, running the MA in songwriting. It started down at UL, and I was kind of curious. They also had an instrumental one, and I was like, "Oh, should I try that?" So, uh, or would I be? Because I, I, I went to university. I, I went in my mid twenties to Lippa, Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, mm. and I really, you know, it was good. But then in the middle of that, my son was, was my partner. My son was conceived, and it was like. So I didn't finish the degree. I could have gone back, but I started doing musical music as well, and it's like, yeah. uh, you know, so I didn't. And life happens. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. So basically, it didn't continue. So I was like, oh, shall I, I wouldn't mind. It'd been a, an idea for a while to go back. Could I do an MA? You know, and I was I able? Was it ready? Am I? You know, and uh, my lovely wife Helena encouraged me, and I applied and I yeah got the place but then it was locked down so that was a bit mad because you know a lot of the we had some in-person classes but a good bit of it was online you know look none of us uh, ever had that experience before it was uh, all bad but actually yeah. it was amazing in a way that it really suited me that I could just I, I'd been planning before that I was going to be on tour still or teaching and that I'd fit the MA around it. And in this instance, I could just actually focus and it was amazing. But uh, that was the reason why I, sorry, um, that was the reason why I meant to um, ask about the lockdown and the course in particular because any musician, any working musician, I mean, the lockdown must have been financially the most horrible of um, events. Because you make your money either when it's teaching, yeah. person to person, or you're out, but everything is closed. Yeah. I mean, I it's guess... It was a lucky thing for you, really. Yeah, it was uh, just the perfect... It's a coincidence. It was like. a perfect timing in that yeah. sense that... And I got to... St- I mean, if it wasn't for... I guess it was just a really good timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I got to really invest in those, you know, but it wasn't just the songwriting, it was also the other parts of the study, learning yeah. about uh, Gregorian chant. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Uh, uh, German leader. And, and it's loads of different periods of music. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and I really loved learning about Tim Pan Alley and the, a lot of the, even the music going into the 80s and stuff, which I kind of, you know, at the time, anything as a teenager, no, as a child, I, my sister got me into Iron Maiden when I was five. <laughs> so, um, she was like Bon Jovi and Iron Maiden. So anything like when I saw like Madonna or, you know, any of the poppy stuff at the time, I yeah. turned my nose up as a kid. So it was actually good to go back and look at it. Like the Pet Shop Boys, actually, they're pretty cool. <laughs> And pop music is actually, I would have been very dismissive of that as well, but it's so well produced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just 
Oh, it's amazing. Like, Whatever music you're into, but pop music is always the best produced music. It's amazing. Just the props for that. Like. But I think that's the amazing thing is like, you know, in one way you can say it's... it's I, I don't want to be dismissive. I'm going to use the word contrived, but I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I mean that it's very thought out and everything yeah. is, you know, like we did, oh, one of the classes which we do, I, I really gives me like <laughs> during the course was this American Institute came over and they were studying they basically analyze hit songs mm. and like oh the majority of songs in this uh, the last year have a 30 second intro and then have yeah. this and they analyze it to that degree and it's like a part of me goes <laughs> another part of me is like going, wow yeah. <laughs> you know it's like, <laughs> that's an incredible level of analysis you know, but I guess it's, uh, but then I, it was really funny, like last night I was listening back uh, the the rock hour on uh, the radio. Uh, I've been down to Tony Trunnell's album launch down in uh, Ballyvaughan last night. Oh, okay, yeah. It was really nice. And, uh, but they had the rock hour as I was driving back. And then, you know, they, who do they have? The Dead Kennedys. Who else was it? Um, oh, David Byrne. Mm. Uh, these guys. And you're just listening. And it's like, you know, there's a real power in the music and it's really cool. But like compared to today's music, like the vocalists today are just so polished. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? yeah. And when you listen back to that, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, you know? I actually saw the dead Kennedys, um, but without Jello Biafra. Uh, maybe three or four years ago okay. wasn't the same right, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who they got like who, who was singing I think that that dude was with them for quite some time like but it wasn't Jello and I didn't want to know about it anymore right, yeah. but yeah they are much more polished these days like I mean uh, Joe Strummer would have never caught a pop star you know just on the voice alone like yeah. uh, but it's just amazing like and you listen like I was listening where was I we went into some restaurant the other day and the music, like, I mean, again, amazing, amazingly produced, yeah. but it was one of the new pop stuff. It was just cringy. It's just like everything is just so perfect and polished and yeah. auto-tuned. And Absolutely. And obviously, like, if, if I know one Taylor Swift song, Only the Young, I don't know if you know it, but actually it's it's... It's really, really good. Yeah. Now, fair enough, I saw the Billy Bragg cover version of that song first. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is really, really good. And there's something in that song that kind of grabbed me where I'd say, yeah, this is a cool song. I like listening to this. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have never listened to Taylor Swift. And yeah, I don't yeah. even know the pop stars' names these days. Like, yeah. But having teenage daughters, like, you kind of uh, learn about it inevitably. Yeah. Like, But um, the... The point I was trying to make was that um, all this this polishedness, this this marvelous production yeah, of yeah. pop music, there's rarely a spark in that kind of music you would listen to on the radio when you're somewhere else. You didn't choose that music. You didn't choose to listen to it. Um, that really grabs you. There's no. It's flat. It's no. It's it's not there. Like that really ignites something in you. Yeah. This I think you only get with with. I would just say, like, crackly music, like, not so polished stuff. But then, 
isn't it funny? Like, I'm going to jump back a little bit. Like, yeah. You know, going back to, I, I would really love, as I said, I used to play in the Northeast Irish Swing Band. I loved that yeah. era of music. But I think, like, and I, I got into learning swing dancing years ago. And, <laughs> and also, I for me, there's something really amazing about that. But I also think for the musicians at the time, it ends up getting formulaic again. So that even had to move on, you know. And like, how much do you? I I don't know what the balance is between it, you know. That if you like, even if I I like, even say my own pieces, I love the. You know, I love making a composition and arrangement and sticking to that. But then I can also go, there's another part of me wants to sabotage and go, oh, no, try something different, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you know, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. And sometimes it works and sometimes yeah. it doesn't, you know. And uh, it's like I was playing over in Rotswaf last, uh, I think it's last November, and I did this gig and I didn't actually know the whole thing was being broadcast, you know. <laughs> All right. You know. And this was a night I'd done a few nights where I'd really stuck to the set of the new album. And this night was one I was like, oh, I'm going to go off script a bit, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, and I played some of my older repertoire and some other pieces, which I hadn't done for a while. So they weren't as... They weren't polished, like they were and beautifully imperfect, I would imagine. But I, you know, I, I can see part of me is like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Another part is, oh, no, it has to be right. <laughs> <laughs> it gives myself... You know, because it likes to be, and it's really funny. I kind of work uh, with uh, a good bit with uh, John Keneally of Galway, and and he often deliberately, whenever I'm going to the gig, I think he gave up trying to because he knows I like to improvise. Like, so I'd be kind of what what are we doing? We'll see, we'll see, we'll see, because he wants to see what comes out in the moment. And that's uh, There's the beauty of life music anyway, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know. Uh, so that's uh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing with John Keneally, guy called Mark Sullivan, Owen McCann, Kieran Kelly. Who else is Bertrand Hoove, Magic? Uh, sorry, anybody I'm missing out? I think Charles Carr, Louise Astoria's who passed on, but a lot of us have all been playing together for years, and it's yeah. really nice. Are you very protective of your music once you've recorded and released the album, or do you do you just say it's done, it's out there, it's not mine anymore, it's the product I have delivered, or are you extremely protective of it that? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to. That. I think I get a. I guess it's just. In a way, it's like it's something that, like even the new stuff I've done, or you look back at it and you go, I can still see the ways stuff can still evolve, mm. even though that is that's what it was at the time. And you know, and I do write new stuff all the time. So, but then other pieces you go, I go, oh, oh, that could be really. There's still room for it to evolve, cool, even though yeah. it's uh, 
And yeah, and even like sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I could have played that better. <laughs> or or it's like even just again, like even though say like the stuff I did there in the MA and I did take time and arranged it nicely. But even now with hindsight you can still go, Oh, you know, another idea comes in, and I might go back to it some point. I might not. But that's good. So you are open to the idea of a song evolving, even if it's ten years later. Actually, this would be much better if I arrange it in a very different way, or even change the lyrics to some degree. Absolutely. That's that's cool. It's like I wrote. There's a song I never released, which I'm working on. Yeah. I'm kind of considering going back to. Yeah. It was written for. The time around 2008 at the crash. Yeah. And I'm going, I never released it at the time, so is it... But now I could... Can I update that? And I, I think that's the thing maybe where I've changed in those early times. It's like, oh, this is the arrangement. This is how it is. Yeah. It's this man. And now it's like, no, it's, like, it's actually okay. You can go in and change stuff if you yeah. want to. Yeah. That's... Uh, and... Like sometimes it might even be like I've got one of the pieces on the the new album, it's called Long Ago, and I had the lyrics I I took the seed I had the seed of it before I started the MA. But I showed it had kind of the chorus pretty much stayed the same. I did change the musical accompaniment, but the I showed it to Carl, who's the course director, and Carl's like, yeah, it's nice, but I think it's a little too generic, you know. Okay. As in, what's, you know, I think you can, so. I so I actually kind of took that piece and totally reworked it. Okay. The lyrics were the same, but actually were reworked the melody and the. And I think it's uh, made it really stand out. Mm. And it was a, it's a little bit un, quite unusual in this, the musicalness of it. And I think even there's been another song I had recently. I, again, I had it in. You can take the same lyrics and put different accompaniments on Maybe you can change the melody, maybe you can change the rhythm of it. You know that there, it's amazing what you can do. It's just yeah. sometimes being open to it. Like those, I was working on a composition this morning as an instrumental, and I. You know, it's quite set the way I've been playing it. So what I would do instead of I play part of it and then I stop, and then it's like. Here inside my head, where is it going? Okay. Yeah. And a new idea will come. Okay, and I'll explore that. So you're. So you let it sit for a little bit. Yeah. So it's like, or even. And this is again coming back to something earlier in the conversation, which I'm getting to now. Is I want to, okay, it's I was like I gave the example that you could. Uh, I'm not saying I'm great at this. But it's what I realized. And I think when I was in my early 20s and I started performing, and I, I, or I would be sitting with other people. And what I would do is I would, let's say you played a line. Mm -hmm. 
before I respond to the line or improvise, I would actually just try to hear it first, and then I could play it. Mm -hmm. And I think I got out of that habit a bit, you know, not totally, but and it's in that giving space. And I think the same with the composition. It's like how to... And there's something I'm realizing because I play all the different instruments, but actually the core of it is like you inside is like the music yeah. and hearing where it wants to go. Yeah. And it, so I don't I don't know whether it's just in your mind. I don't know whether you're channeling it from somewhere, but it comes and it's like ah, okay. You see, here's something. So, and again, I think that's the realization I'm having. So. Sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but no, it's, no, the, it's good. But it's the, the, <coughs> regardless of the, whatever instrument it is, whether whatever, whether it's a violin, whether it's a guitar, whether it's a dobro, whatever you know, as a singer. But I'd like to move more into the place where, actually, you you work in the music internally, and you know, I just yeah, and then you're putting that out, yeah, and I think that's uh. That's my inspiration. <laughs> but do you have anyone you would customarily go to and bounce off or pre present a work in progress and um, sort of proofreading your own letter you haven't sent yet, you know, where you would say, look, I have um, two elements here. I don't really know how to work this, but let me play you A, let me play you B, let me play you a variation. What do you think? Or is it really just yourself, a very kind of autark process? can be both. Uh, like some of it, I guess more the, some of the solo, I, Say like when I'm working on the MA, that was really good because I could bounce stuff off people. Sometimes it would be, I have a trio I play with as well, which I have to, I really want to get to record with. We haven't. Sometimes I bring ideas to rehearsals and it's through when you show them, you go, yeah. oh, that really works. That yeah. sucks. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's not thought through enough. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's where even the, you know, that's like, in a sense, even if I don't have somebody else to bounce off, the recording process can be really good because I can record, even if it's just, you know, you're putting a line down or if it's a loop pedal or if it's uh, uh, just recording on the little dictaphone or yeah. into the door and you listen back and you go, oh, that works, that doesn't work, you know, so I guess I do that quite a bit for myself anyway, but you know I'd also share ideas with other musicians. And sometimes if I'm stuck, you kind of what do you think of this? Or, yeah. You know, or sometimes or sometimes it could be a bit like, say I I might share something that, and you might I might not think much of it or something. Oh, that's pretty yeah. good or. And it's really funny as well that then there's other ideas. It's like, you know, even if other people might say, oh, I don't like that. And I might go, I actually really, <laughs> that's something I really yeah. want to explore, you know. Yeah. But I think the even with the recording and the, 
It's really funny because like you, like with the new album that's coming out, even that I did during the lockdown. I was so, that's where I was, and I've deliberately because I knew it was coming out soon. I deliberately didn't listen to it for a while. Yeah. And now I'm listening to it again, and I'm listening with totally fresh ears. <laughs> and you kind of go, "Oh, that yeah. fits really good." Oh, I could have really done that. Yeah. Yeah. So when is the new new album coming 15th out? Fifteenth of September. Fifteenth of September. And so it's coming out online on that day, and it'll be, you know, I'll be. The law that's on uh, OOB Records. So there'll be stuff about it on my website and. Uh, we're in negotiations it'll be announced shortly where the launch will be yeah that, that would have been my next question <laughs> where should, is it the should, launch it should be <laughs> it should be the 29th of September cool uh, in a location close to Kimvara I'm sworn to secrecy it will be announced shortly on social media cool yeah and uh, I'm also playing yeah, I've got another few things. I'm playing the Spirit Store in Dundalk. I think that's on the 19th of October. And I'm playing... Oh, I don't have it with me. Well, I'm sure uh, we can find yeah, it on the I have, I have a date coming up music. Limerick Songwriters Night yeah. as well. Uh, and yeah, that's on the 19th of September in the Limerick Songwriters Night playing. So be, even though the official launch is later. But yeah. it's... Uh, yeah, it's uh, the this album is uh, it's a lot of stories. I like one of the the title of the album is Daughter of the Willow Tree, and so I was on that. It's really interesting how that came together because that was I've been in Switzerland and I was staying near this. Uh, I was on a campervan trip girlfriend and we st- it was the first place we stopped by this river and we went down there's this beautiful willow tree near the river and I think I was just carrying the guitar because I was carrying it in a certain way I was just hammering on some idea with the left hand and this melody came like then this melody came da 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 lyrics came and this little story came to me it's like about the daughter of the willow tree daughter of the willow tree goes down to the river side where she goes to lie within the boughs of the branches of the willow tree and then the story came to me about how she was uh, it's like I had this image of like it's an old, like pre ice age village, and and this uh, man and this woman had gone down to make love with them. You know, they'd lurked in the branches, and mm-hmm. but then uh, it took a while to evolve. But basically, it's the daughter was going back to the tree, and she didn't know that the father had been taken by the tree. You know, so it's like making an old folk tale, and yeah. then, and that he's calling to her from within the tree to say, because he loves her and he wants it to be, you know, but he doesn't want it to be there because he doesn't want it to get hurt, you know, yeah. by the tree. So that's uh, 
yeah, and even that, yeah, you know, that was a, that's linked to this, there's a story of in Wales, if I, oh, I can't remember the name of the valley, the Hidden Valley, Clinic uh, I was there with my auntie uncle, and in the, there's a legend from there that the, there's a tradition in the village that when the man and the woman were getting married, the bride would run away on the morning of the wedding. Oh. And then the husband had to go find her before they got married. And uh, and so there's this one case where this, they search and search for the woman and they never found her. And years and years later... Oh, it's a never found her? Never found her. Oh. And... Know, didn't know what had happened she'd run off yeah. uh, and uh, then years later the lightning struck the tree and they found her trapped within the tree is what's been where she was oh, hidden fuck. so there was yeah it was, so that was linked to the story as well and then there was also i guess i realized years later because i read a lot of tolkien as a child lord of the rings and then there was the story of crack willow you know, was trying to take the hobbits into the tree. Oh, in the, yeah, in the yeah, chapter yeah. of Tom Bombadil. And it was only, actually, I'd forgotten that that's... But obviously that had sown a seed yeah. as a child in that story. And then it's actually, you know, years... And then I think after I'd written the song and written my MA in explanation, I went back and read Lord of the Rings and then I came across that chapter and it's like, oh, wow. There's a you know an idea that. Now that you mentioned it, it was I was a teenager when I read yeah. uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Yeah. In the attempt at the Silmarillion, like. I I have never read that one. I'd like. To. I tried. Uh, I, I didn't finish it. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a long time ago. Like, but um, yeah, but I just I'm just picturing it now. Like there must be the most horrible death, like you know, oh. for the bride, like because what's supposed to be a funny part of the wedding thing, like the tradition, like yeah. you know, and then she would have either suffocated or starved or both, like well, the poor know. husband. Yeah. Uh, the I wouldn't worry too much about him when you're stuck in a tree. No, like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's I mean, horrible, like. But what I mean, yeah. everybody, you know, yeah. the parents, and, you know, who knows what happened, but uh, so that's where the germ of that. I mean, I. So obviously my story is not exactly, but it not was, the, yeah. but it was there was a link to it, and then other songs on the album, I have, uh, there's a single that just come out came out. It's on uh, the Bandcamp page. It's actually on Spotify now as mm. well. It's called Baby Blue. That's yeah. the second track on the album, and that one is really interesting as well. That it's. Uh, I don't, I don't, maybe I shouldn't tell people what it's so about, but in my, you know, where, again, where do these ideas come from? It's like, you know, it's hard to explain. It's like, uh, I think the first line, she says she loves me, but only ever calls when she's lonely. At night she prays, but never thinks about me during her days. Mm. When will... We be together. I don't know. Gift of love is free will. Uh, so I will wait here for her. And, and then, uh, 
so there's definitely a lot of, for me a lot of spiritual things in there you know God's relationship to us that's the way I would see it or but there's also a very human level to it as yeah. well and then also this at the time my daughter was due so I think there's elements of that in it that you're you know your child's coming but you you know you can't who is it yes, yeah you don't know yet, yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, and then that one you know so you get the I just got a really like how do you know where these pieces come from it's like this you know I have this guitar maybe this one I can't remember whether I had the guitar idea or the melody first and the words uh, but often I find when they come they just evolve yeah. uh, then I, oh, I got this idea for a string part for it so I in my wisdom I wrote it in the key of B which suits my voice quite well, but like it was during lockdown, so I was playing all the parts, so I was doing all the string parts. But then, as a violin player, like you know, it's not my main instrument, so it's like okay, I have to work on this now and <laughs> yeah. keep learn, which is great. It's a <laughs> technical challenge, but this is again where I was going. If I play keyboard, I could have just done a synth. Absolutely, <laughs> but I think because it's real, there's something really nice about that, you know. I think it's just the sense of achievement you get from that having played it on a violin. Um, it's just so much bigger than just using uh, a synthy or, or yeah. a keyboard, like and just yeah. recording and it on the fly and modeling it a little bit. And this is the interesting thing as well, going back to like because it was locked down, it was great to have the you know being able to do. So I have my studio experience. I'm not perfect, but I know. I think through the experience at the end seven albums now you know it's after the first album I got so the engineer I made so many rookie mistakes it made his the guy who did the mastering Dave Brand it made his work so much harder it showed my I was like I learned a lot through that so it's like um uh, the one thing I do try to do is when I record, just record very cleanly and it makes things easier afterwards. But what I was going to say is during the lockdown, so I, you know, I was able to record and do all the parts. Uh, but I'm also getting, which I really like, you know, but I, I'm also getting to the point where it's like, yeah, the joy is also to play with other people. Yeah. And that's where being able to actually do, you know, your arrangements and uh, is really helpful. Yeah. So I think, so, so like a, for the next recording, I've got some band ideas I want to do, and it's uh, that's gonna be my next challenge. But this this production now basically took you the guts of uh, three years. Then, oh well. Uh. When you say like you know, never mind the conception of the first song ideas but um lockdown is now about three years ago isn't yeah it? i mean i guess so the thing was, was quiet some time in the making yeah but it was like i guess the reality was the songs were all finished by i i the end of you know august 21 
but then I had this little event happen <laughs> you know, on the 16th of August. And you lost your hearing with all the screaming. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it, Yeah, we were just very busy with yeah. the family life. Yeah. Uh, and I, so it was in 20, and I think it was around that time I started negotiating with the record company. No, oh no, it was basically, so it was ready, but it wasn't mastered. So I needed to get this okay. material mastered. So I did that. Who uh, did that for you? Uh, Lorenz Schaller is uh, uh, in Switzerland, is a okay. sound pro studio. So and that was quite good because he would I send we'd send stuff back and forth even with the mixing. He was, that's the beauty of he, modern technology, isn't it? He would send you know listen to he would bounce ideas back and say oh you could try this with the mix. So I had it more ready before I sent it to him. Yeah. So we worked on that for a little while. You know. It was, Again, it was, uh, so I think pretty much, I, I guess it was in 20, I, I don't think I got to finish it in 21, the mixing. Mm. So the songs were all done, but it was the mix mastering we did in uh, 22, I think. Then I negotiated with, I got signed to, when I was on tour in last year with Brother Deej. There was uh, I got introduced to, I've known him for a while. When we're when we're on tour in Germany, we often play in a place called Sittard. Or Sittard, a, yeah. And there's a there's an organization called Vault, and they've often we've played in their club. You know, it's like a cultural venue where they have a band house, so we've often met there yeah. and stayed for a few days. And whilst we were there, over since 2015, I got to know a guy called Eddie Bopp, who was uh, a great guitarist, music producer there. And he asked me to do some stuff last year. And uh, so that's right. So now I'm remembering the time schedule. Anyway, so it was around that time I got Lorenz had been looking at the Masters. So uh, Eddie helped me. That. and then I he suggested he put he was asking do I have a label and I was going to bring it out myself and he suggested getting in touch with uh, friendly folk in OOB records uh, Kathy Keller and so originally it was just going to be Doors of the Willow Tree but then I was like well I've got these other two albums as well because yeah. I'd done the one with Magic and that was ready just before lockdown but we Again, I when I say ready, the music was ready, and I, I had, but I didn't have. Uh, I think I had the masters done as well with Lorenz Schaller, but I had no covers designed. So then that was again with George of the Willow Tree covers needed to be done, and then so basically we brought out the one with Magic yeah. in November, and then we brought out the Ebb and Flow, I think in January, which is like. I just totally underestimated the amount of work it was going to take to get them out, you know. And then in my wisdom, I brought yeah. out this one now. <laughs> so on the 15th of September, yeah. the album is going to be released. Now, um, what 
there'd be a possibility of uh, listening to a sample of your music, seeing uh -huh. that we're sitting here and have nothing else for doing. <laughs> All right. I'll Would you do that, Tom? Sure. That'd be great. Let me find a guitar. Like, you know what I was saying about where do ideas come from? Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I got this idea. It's like... Absolutely brilliant. You have such a calm voice. <laughs> you know, meeting you for the first time yeah. or the second time, like apart from on the street, um, you're such a calm person anyway, but your, your voice is just beautifully calming. Oh. There's something in it that yeah. brings you down, like it's cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, 
Have you have you ever tried yourself on like I don't know hard rock music? <laughs> it's funny actually. Last night I was uh, what was I playing last night? It was the the yeah Iron Maiden run to the hills. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff as well. Do you? I mean, as a young man, you would have like. Yeah. Put a... I yeah, it's funny. I mean, like with Brother Deeds, we do. I mean, that gets really rocky, or with. Uh, it's funny, like, I do. Um, yeah, I guess I do many different styles, you know, so that was, as you say, it's uh, quite relaxing, which I guess is the theme of that album, you know? Yeah. Um, just nice, you know, well, I think, you know, arranged pieces, and but again, it's like. Like in comparison, if uh, like the piece I did with um, this is one I did for the the album that came out in November. It's called Carolina. It's, again, it's nowhere near how drunk on this one. <laughs> So sugar and spice Carolina, what am I meant to do? My producer's asking for new hit songs Since you've been around I've come along My life's just getting better Day by day There ain't no cloud And there ain't gonna graze Oh Carolina, what am I meant to do Without the blues Maybe you could leave me for a day or two Just like that So I get blues And I can write a new hit song for you, my girl You see, the blues It's a force for my trouble and strife Since you came along, it's all sugar and spice Carolina, what am I meant to do? Oh, Carolina, what am I meant to do? Without the <laughs> Could you actually do the intro, the thing, the finger picking style intro of that song when you're drunk? Here, I'll drink this bottle of vodka now. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember like playing like guitar myself 
awfully badly below. Um, but uh, well, there comes a point where I can't even hit a fucking G chord. <laughs> and this is like I'm totally fascinated with people who can actually play their instruments. Right. Like, it's like, wow. Yeah. Uh, been doing a long time. Now. Um, oh, I'll play. Uh, do you want another one? Yeah, if you'd like to, of course. Uh, yeah, this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is. All right, this is this is another one from the new album, long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Ago. No internet, no mobile phone The lucky had a landline on the street And if you needed to make a call Down to your neighbor's house You'd stroll afterward Maybe stop for some tea But that was long ago Since then there's been many rain Summers and falls of snow Long ago Mom and Dad said before my time they were operators at the end of the line Who can they put your call through? They were nosy parkers listening You could almost feel them grin as they delighted in your news That was long ago Since then there's been many rain Summers and falls of snow Long ago if you broke down at the side of the road it's a long walk to a telephone maybe think you'd have to hit your ride to town and if you want to talk to a friend no cell phone on which to depend you had to hope they were home where you called that was long ago long ago you see it was a simpler time on other folks we had to rely today we all seem to far apart that was long ago, long ago. That was long ago. Since then, there's been many rain, summers and falls of snow. Long ago, long ago.
<laughs> That's great. Thanks a million. Cheers. So, and you will let us know when the um, launches, which I can't talk about at the moment, but I can yeah, maybe bring it to the people then whenever you know. Yeah. Yes, I will do that. Yeah. Thanks a million for doing this. Like, oh, much yeah. appreciated. Cheers. Great. <laughs>